You probably know the name Caitlin Clark. The Iowa guard is a transcendent guard prospect that mixes long-range shooting, elite passing, and off-ball dexterity into one player. Watching Clark consistently poses this question. Who is the best prospect into the WNBA in league history? We're going to embark on that journey beginning today by scouring through old game film starting in 1997, reading articles from at the time, speaking to people in the industry, and looking through the numbers to come to a strong conclusion for our thesis at the end of this series. Welcome to Season 1 of WNBA Retrospect. Welcome to Wallet. For the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Locked on Women's Basketball. My name is Andrew. I'm your Saturday host covering prospect scouting and women's basketball at large. I'm joined by my co-host, M. Adler. M covers the WBA in the New York market with a focus on player development and analysis at thenexthoops.com. So the subject of our conversation today is the great Tina Thompson. So let's take you back to the inaugural 1997 WBA draft. Thompson is the consensus number one pick after an impressive four-year career at USC. The Inglewood California native posted averages of 22.5 points, 10.6 rebounds, two assists, and 1.9 steals in her final season at SoCal. She's a natural four at six foot two with the ability to rebound like a dominant post and shoot a little bit like a wing on the perimeter, a truly unique skill set at the time. But I'm going to swing it to you, Em. At the top, what about Tina's game do you think just made her this number one overall pick at a time when the WNBA would just really needed a dominant player to come in as a rookie? Yeah, I mean, there's two things to consider about the 1997 inaugural first-year player draft, which is the fact that I, the main thing is it's up. <laughs> the main thing to consider about the 1987 draft is you're not getting really any good players out of that outside of Tina Thompson. Um, and look, Tina Thompson, excellent player, Hall of Fame. So it's really not tough to see why Tina Thompson was a first-year pick. This isn't like debating between... Uh, this isn't even on the level of debate between like Sabrina Inescu and Satu Sabali, which was not a lot of debate. We had a couple of years ago, but it was still a thought process. This is not close to EVD and Brittany Griner. This is not anything like um, Teacher or Margot Dydek. We're, we're looking at like a locked on, there's no one else you should be considering here. And it's pretty clear why. You watch your UNC, uh, USC, sorry, and... The 22 points jump off the board. The the rebounds are really obvious. The Pac-12, outside of Stanford and Cal, was not the biggest level of competition back then. It wasn't even the Pac-12. Um, but it's pretty clear to see why someone with her fluidity, someone with her body control, someone with her versatility in terms of the scoring package was just so damn projectable as a scorer. And something that was pretty remarkable as well, in the 1994 season, she was alongside Lisa Leslie, that front court, like you were saying, in the Pac-12. They just, there was just no way they could really guard them. They were just getting fouled, hacked on almost every single possession. And what I saw from USC's offense, it was just basically just throw it down to them, just post-injury passes, high-low. It, it was entirely a high-low. Anytime USC had to go to the guards back then, it was absolutely terrible. Yeah. I mean, they lost, they lost to, here's the thing, Louisiana Tech, Good team, obviously had a great series of runs uh, in that in that sort of time frame. Obviously, 
but setting aside the fact that they were successful, it's Louisiana Tech going up against USC, USC with Tina Thompson and Lisa Leslie. There's no reason why you should be losing to Louisiana Tech. And yeah, like you said, part of it was just the fact that they, Tina Thompson's a freshman at that point, so cut her some slack, but there's no reason why you should possibly be losing to this. And it, I mean, that's that's kind of the disappointing part of USC overall. I mean, through honestly most of its history, following Lisa Leslie's exit, or not exit, but her running out of eligibility, was the fact that they've kind of just, for the the premier university in Southern California, they just kind of stunk. And that's bad. Thankfully, the head coach who kind of burned uh, Tina Thompson's collegiate prime, you know, never got any opportunities elsewhere. Uh, don't check Wikipedia on that one. And that was sort of why it was hard to find film, because you can sometimes find players from the 90s when they had, like, Final Four runs and stuff, but mm -hmm. they had that one Elite Eight run where they played Louisiana Tech. But outside of that, yeah. they just didn't really go far, which is – it's tough, just considering you have two of the greatest players ever. But – Yeah, and special thanks to uh, special thanks to the team at uh, uh, the University of Southern California right now who are able to get us a little bit of film to watch up on Tita Thompson uh, as a junior when she said her – Personal scoring high, I believe it was, it was like 45 or 47 points. Pretty good. Pretty good, if you ask me. What? It might have been, it, it might have, it might have been 48 or 49, I think. Like She was, she was good. What, what specifically stood out to you about, about sort of her scoring approach in terms of, you know, obviously there was a certain difference in the level of defensive competition, even in the WNBA at that point. Um, setting aside the rules that make offense a bit easier these days, they're obviously just a different level of, you know, having some NPCs on the court <laughs> defending it at some points. But college, you know, especially when you're playing on impact, I believe it was Pac-10 at that point, you were running into some of those kinds of players a little more often. But setting that aside, what did you see in her scoring approach that, you know, were you unaware of what her later career would be? you would be projecting and looking at yeah she was super polished from what i saw mm -hmm. uh, post seal she really good in that i thought she was also pretty quick um for her skill set as well like in transition she was pretty fast to be on transition and score um i was really impressed with just her overall offensive approach in general like i thought she's a good sh i thought she was a really impressive shooter like at 6'2 mm -hmm. like whenever i originally thought of tina thompson i honestly thought she was like 6'3 6 6'4 6 but it turns out she's six two. She plays bigger than her size. Um, not the, not the greatest leaper in general. But I thought um, she uses space well. Um, really nice jumper. But what did you think of the shooting in general? Um, yeah, just the shooting in general. From her. Yeah, I I mean this is part of the issue with the her coaching for her upperclassmen years at USC. Which uh, to illuminate on on my prior joke, the, her head coach was Fred Williams who has since gone on to uh, be a head coach for four, for somehow four extraordinarily mediocre to bad runs in the WNBA. Really not sure how any of that has possibly happened, but he did somehow. Um, that being said, um, and you know, he's not a good coach. And that's part of the thing with Tim Thompson is like you said, with the, with the shooting, it was, it's advanced for someone first of that era for that position. And second of all, for being that size of that position and being, and for someone who had such a good interior scoring game. And you can see that popping up at points where you look at the jumper and you are, and then you can say to yourself, you know, this is a very, 
they're very impressively fluid uh, power transfer, which I think is, you know, when someone is able to hit, and especially back then when the line for three-point shooting both in college and in the WNBA was like significantly closer than it was now, about, about two feet closer to the rim at both levels. Then if the shot's falling, then there's really a lot less, it matters a lot less what the form was back then because you know you don't have as much distance to care about, just as long as the the, the power transfer, energy transfer was working out. And I was really impressed by from that by her. It seemed very natural, again, you know, going off of, what this, that school was producing, what that head coach was producing, I think we can also kind of infer the fact that like it was probably pretty natural and they, there wasn't a lot of development going on there. Anyway, um, I think what really stood out to me there was just how little, like I was saying, just how little it was featured. They really could have used a little more versatility going on with the system. Um, the talent, again, the talent after Tina's first year when Lisa Leslie left. It's lacking, so I can't fault them too much for that, but you would like to have her show off the shot a little bit more. So I think in that sense, it becomes a little bit, if you're, if you're scouting, not knowing what she's going to be later in her career, you're scouting kind of thinking about trying to project the jumper up. And I mean, I mean obviously the, the jumper turns out to be freaking excellent. She, she was probably the best and not even a stretch four because of how good she was as an interior scorer, but she's probably the best stretch four in the WNBA through Hellman. Like by the, I, I think Brianna Stewart is probably the only like person who can be a stretch, who can be considered a stretch four that was better at that than Tina, I think. Um, just the completeness of that package, I think, is what is where you go from you know this is an exceptional interior score and someone who can you know be like what we're seeing with angel reese that's where you go from that to okay this is a person with an all-around game yeah so let's get that a little bit more after a break because i think that shooting aspect is especially important when you consider what players are doing nowadays absolutely Okay, so I know you watched a little bit of film from her days with the Houston Comets. What did you see from there in her offensive role in general, just from, just in general from what she was doing then? Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing, especially with Tina, right? Because, and I'd like to be clear before, before I say this, because I, I realize it can, it, there's a possibility that what I say could, like, could come off some form of slander. Tina Thompson, Hall of Fame, easily. Like I said, like I said, probably, the best offensive four uh, for the first like two decades of the league's existence. The thing with Houston and the thing that makes it so hard to evaluate sort of her individual level, but was the same thing that made the Houston, the Houston Comets so good. I mean, they four-peated for a reason. You have arguably the greatest player of all time in Cynthia Cooper as your point guard for the first four years. Again, despite being in her mid-30s for this run, that's ridiculous. You have Cheryl Swoops, who was considered one of the top three players who would enter the WNBA in the first place, who was initially allocated to them. So you have those two players starting off against Cynthia Cooper, probably at worst, like the third best offensive player in league history. Cheryl Swoops was absolutely insane as a defender and as a offensive two guard. And then you have Tina Thompson slotting in basically third of the order right behind them. 
Houston was, for all intents and purposes, a big three, but it really was sort of a big two and a half. And again, that's not anything against Tita Thompson, but you have these two two-way superstars who are able to generate so much for themselves and for their teammates in in Sidney Cooperdyke and Cheryl Swoops that Tina Thompson being such a such an incredible scorer for the first basically four years of her career she kind of slots in as sort of in a highly overqualified play finisher and that's why I think it's particularly interesting what happens after 2000 for her is you know she keeps running fairly high um, usage rates or not usage rates sorry she keeps running fairly high uh, assisted rates for someone who, you know, is like an eight-time All WNBA player. The the assisted rates are pretty comparable to what you think of as like a four or four and a half these days. Who sort of fills a similar excellent play finisher, not not like an MVP level role uh, kind of player. You see similar numbers across her different shooting zones with assisted rates from John Paul Jones. You see it similarly from Dewana Bonner, for example. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily something against her. And I think that's why it's interesting to look at her usage rate obviously jumps after Cindy Cooper retires, kind of continues sort of being like really high through the mid 2000s. And part of that is just because she can handle that volume with how efficient and how versatile her, her game was and her scoring approach. And I think that's one of the things that really helps Houston. No, obviously they weren't um, obviously they weren't going to win another title, but still be decently competitive, 500 team, even as sort of the building blocks around that the, the original um, title teams uh, go away. And I think that is, it's just really impressive to see her be able to take on that usage and be able to step up and continue that scoring and become a 23 per game scorer. And yeah, like early in her career, like you said, there's a play finisher with Houston. And then she had like her prime eras where she was sort of took on that larger lead role. And then it was interesting just from looking at just different statistics and stuff to end her career. She was crazy high three point rate. She was taking most of her shots from three and she was super mm-hmm. effective, which is like, if you look at it now with the pace of play right now, I couldn't imagine how many threes she would be taking. Cause she was taking upwards of like 5.5 to six threes per game um, on, on some really good efficiency at her time which is like if you put her yeah. in the modern game, we're talking about a player. Like how many how many shots do you think she takes a game and how effective do you think her role is in like a modern offensive system where they're just space and pace? I mean, I honestly think that's a fascinating question because, you know, she from the first quick math, the first like 12, like 12 years of her career, she takes exactly four threes a game and hits them over 37% in the field. And obviously the line's closer those days, but, you know, this is sort of like the Michael Jordan thing where, you know, he obviously wasn't a very good three-point shooter, but if he's coming up in today's game, he's probably going to be rehearsing threes a lot more. This one's probably going to be pretty good at them because it's Michael Jordan. So with Tina Thompson, it's probably safe to say that she would still be pretty good with the line moved back a couple feet. In today's game, I, I kind of find it hard to imagine that she would be taking fewer than, you know, the three and a half to four she was mostly taking throughout her career from three. Again, the... The efficiency would probably get. She's probably not hitting forty percent of like four, of four threes a game uh, across like her the, the five years that were her prime. But again, you can see, especially you know, in those same years in 06, 07, 08 with Houston, when she's really taking on the, the biggest 
scoring load, the biggest offensive load that she has to have her career, you can see how advanced her ability to score from inside the arc is anyway. It's kind of hard to contextualize, you know, someone someone who's a four, their efficiency from two-point range, because at this point, you know, Houston, for as good as they are, for as excellent as their offensive package was uh, under Van Chancellor. Um, so surprisingly good in terms of the movement and the motion for those days. You know, they're still playing with a five that really can't do much outside the restricted area, definitely can't do anything really outside of eight feet. And there's not a whole lot of space you can work with on the interior. You're, you're not going one v one in the same way that, like, Asia or Candace is able to go one v one in the post these days with the other one spacing out, drawing attention out there. So, you know, shooting, I mean, across her prime is something close to like 47% from two. Like, you see her scoring approach and you see what she's able to do. And this is, again, both at USC and in Houston. Her, her body control, her ability to get to basically any point within the within 15, 16 feet of the rim and just hit it. You know, if she's, if she's hitting, if she's getting the ball in the mid post, the, the ability to stop on a dime, contort her body, the ability to hit the leaners, hit the step backs, hit a float, or not a float, sorry, uh, a fadeaway. Again, it's, it's one of the most advanced scoring packages you will see out of anyone in WNBA history, especially someone who was not able to play the five and was not able to play the four in space either. So, and then I think in that sense, there are, there are certain ways in which, you know, if this is the, if this is the best player on your team, if this is the second best player on your team, you, you want more scoring efficiency. It's or not scoring efficiency. You want more passing. It's really hard to have a second star who runs a 28% usage rate and just isn't a value-added passer in the slightest. But like, you know, just from a scoring perspective, like again, one of the best play finishers in WNBA history, and there's little doubt about that in my mind. And I know you mentioned Angel Reese earlier, just like a supercharged version. Do you have any other comps from just players you see now and just okay, this is this is sort of like some of the stuff you see? I have some absolutely terrible comps here. I have some and I'm I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I, I will caveat these by again saying, like I mentioned, a fine like not a not a particularly we've seen worse passers it's not that she was necessarily a, uh, a turnover machine but i mean for her career she ran for her she ran about a, she ran at a 25 percent usage 10 percent assist and considerably higher uh turnover rate than assist rate is really one of the worst sort of for someone who was this level of scorer it's one of the worst um it, just one of the worst passing and playmaking abilities that you will find in WNBA history, to be quite honest. And again, for the, for the level of scorers she was, not that it's not that important. The thing that was more important was the defense just didn't kind of kind of didn't exist. And before I give the comps, I actually I actually know that you noticed this as well. Like USC, you're, they played really truly the most boring two three zone imaginable. And then when you get to Houston, they have such a level of defense from the two guards, such a they do so well with providing help from the interior. It didn't really matter. I mean, at least in my mind, even especially down the stretch of February, when if she was a better defender, they would have needed her more. They still didn't use her. Is that is that what you saw too? Yeah, she just wasn't really a high impact defender like ever. She never made all defensive team. She was just sort of like she wasn't awful, but she wasn't like amazing either. Never had high block mm-hmm. rates. Never really had um, just she was never that high impact defender just because she was more offensive oriented creator. And um, yeah, I just 
I didn't see a lot just from what she did at USC. Like you said, the zone was just – that's just what they did more at the time. But, yeah, in general, I just thought, yeah, the defense wasn't anything special. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about what it would have looked like if she went to, like, a, a Bill Lambert team, if she, was on, if she was, like, drafted by the Detroit Shock back then, or if she, uh, you know, was in a collegiate system where they were playing man-to-man and they really needed her to match up against the opponent's four and provide a, a heavier level of help defense in the post. But, yeah, even throughout her WNBA career, she's just – she's good enough on the boards that she could be sort of low activity at the four and it didn't really matter. So with those things in mind, my my sort of deranged comps, as you said, sort of a if if Angel Reese could if Angel Reese was able to finish with like her hand in different positions and also could shoot, I think is the first one that comes to mind. Um, the the next one uh, that uh, the the next one that I think might get me fired is. Honestly, if Diamond if Diamond Miller could shoot and could finish above her head, yeah, those scoop at, finishes. At least prospect. Those scoop finishes. Get her in trouble, and uh, and if we're comping not to prospects but to WNBA players, I would I would go uh, Joanna Bonner with less defense and no playmaking. To be clear, Joanna Bonner in her prime in Phoenix was it. That is sort of a different, just a different player, though. It it kind of is, but like, I I came up with this and I and I told you guys in the chat last night, and I I looked at our um, I looked at our board, our twenty twenty three uh, scouting board before this past draft, uh, again, and we had to want we we had a version of Dewana Bonner as a as an upside comp for Diamond Miller, so like it's different flavors of a similar package, right? They they get to it in different ways. But I think the overall effect is pretty similar. Again, if you if you take out some of the defense that Bonner's had in Chicago and the playmaking overall, do do you have any uh, do do you have any less deranged thoughts than me? See, honestly, I could not come up with like a real comp, just considering she's six two, um, but plays kind of the four position. Measurably, she kind of reminded me of Nas Hillman, just measure measure measures wise. If you took Nas Hillman. But you just took just a supercharged offensive version of her, similar to Angel yeah. Reed, just just a great offensive version of her. Because um, Nas can't really shoot. Um, I know she she takes she takes, she takes some mid range shots more than she did before. But um, yeah, just taking more offensive version of her um, defense wise. Um, yeah, I just think that's probably the best comp. Just undersized big, but also can rebound great um and yeah. just moves well in space as well so yeah that's kind of where i'm at on tina thompson just uh here's the big question for me what here's the big question for me what what grade would you give her as a prospect coming out because hmm. this this is a question that's going to get easier as we go along in this series and i think for me it's the most fun one is trying to figure out if we can even give a grade uh while not considering what their career turns out to be? I would probably say 65 or 70. That's probably what I would put. I would probably go 60. I And and we know from having done this before that I put more emphasis on players being two-way players than, like, I, th- I think a lot of other scouts, um, I think I put a lot more emphasis on, like, positional passing. So... Are we saying her I mean, skills to- right now, or, like, 
what are we grading it for at the time? Coming out, coming out of USC, I think. I, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think, I, I think an eight-time All WNBA, uh, All an All WNBA selection is, uh, you know, that that is quite literally like the definition of a seventy-grade eight-time WN All All W zero MVPs. That's like the definition of a seventy. I think for me, coming out of college, um, and because I put more emphasis on defense, and also because. I, to me, looking at the USC tape, there was so much polish as an interior scorer, but the jumper wasn't featured enough for me to for me to say solidly that you know it's going to hit. I would go sixty. I think if you know the the jumper looked at all sort of as good on the volume it did at USC as it did in Houston, then I think sixty five would be pretty easy for me. Okay, so now now that I'm thinking about it. Considering she was playing with Lisa Leslie, um, not someone we're going to cover in this oh, series. Yeah. Whenever you, whenever you watch that that season and just watch that specific game we, we watched with Lisa Leslie, well, looking at Lisa Leslie's game, I think she screams seventy or higher. Like obviously, I think I, I think pretty clearly. So for that instance, I would probably well, say sixty-five. Um, Tina wasn't. If you watch just watching her, if you had no idea, okay, this player would become an eight-time All Star. Looking at her game, yeah, I just I. You don't look at her game and scream. This is a franchise-changing superstar. But I think she was. She looked like an all-star caliber player, um, pretty clearly. Look at that. She did. Yeah, and I think that. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm not surprised that we're that we're in a similar place with that. And I think that's that's also what you just mentioned about having to arrive at that process is one of the reasons I'm especially excited for uh, very interesting players who do next week. Yeah, so um, who are we talking about next week, Tim? So next week we have uh, – sorry, uh, not, not two players next week. We have uh, – over the next two weeks, we're doing the 1998 draft, the top two picks, being uh, the WNBA, I believe, still leader in blocks per game, and Margot Didek, the number one pick out of Poland. And the week after that, we are doing the number two pick, T uh, Tisha Penichero, who uh, might be the best point guard in WNBA history. Right now, it's a pretty close race with like four. I, you could pick one of four different names, and I, and I say they're all right. It's it's gonna be very fun, I think, to see. Sort of just comparing someone who turned out to be you know top four all time at their position, and someone who is the league leader in blocks, but wasn't exactly the most efficient shooter. And she was also just seven two, seven two with a negative two weight spin. Somehow, I can't wait to get into that. Yeah, of course, but um. Thanks for making Ultimate Basketball your first listen every day. And join us back next week for our loads of WNBA coverage um, you can find here at Ultimate Basketball.